Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Today, we're starting a new series called Upside Down. And the series is about this idea that the kingdom of God looks different than the kingdom of this world, that the kingdom of God is upside down so many times compared to what we think is conventional wisdom in the world we live in today. Jesus said this in John chapter 18, verse 36. He said, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders when he was crucified. He says, but my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus says, my kingdom looks different than this world's kingdoms look. Um, the, the way we function as believers should look different than the way the world looks. Um, and by design, it is upside down. Conventional wisdom says, here's one way we do it. But the kingdom of God says, no, 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 that's the opposite. So when you submit your heart to Christ and you really get into the kingdom of God, what we begin to understand is that up is down, left is right, right is wrong, wrong is right. A bullseye doesn't even hit the target. Gaining is losing. The last is first and living is dying. That's the kingdom of God. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. And Paul tells the Romans, he says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. How does he do that? By changing the way you think. Then you'll learn to know what God's will is for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So what does he do? He says, give your heart, give your life, submit it to God, and then he will transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. So what he's going to do is he's going to begin to shift our minds, help us to love differently, value differently, have God's vision for this world instead of our vision for this world. We begin wanting the things God wants, desiring the things God desires. That's what he wants to do. That's the only way that we can see this upside down kingdom the way God wants us to see it. The principle we're gonna talk about today, these upside down principles over the next few weeks, the one we're gonna talk about today is uh, to be strong, you must be weak. To be strong, you must be weak. There's a, a story uh, that we're gonna look at today from the book of Judges. And uh, if you've got, does anybody remember paper Bibles, old, you know, like with pages? And if you've got a paper Bible, you can stick your finger in Judges chapter 6. We'll come back to that in a minute. Our key passage for the day is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul's talking to the Corinthian church, and he's telling them some of the stuff that God has done in him and through him. And, uh, and he's just walking this out for them. And this is what he says in 2 Corinthians 12 verse 5. It says this. That experience is worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. I will boast only about my weaknesses. If I wanted to boast, I would be no fool in doing so because I would be telling the truth. So we've all known people who bragged or they would boast, but they were lying. Like they, they weren't even telling the truth. They were exaggerating, right? And, and Paul's saying, I could boast about what God has done in my life and I, I wouldn't be a fool because it's all true. God has actually done these things in me. He goes on to say, but I won't do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message, even though 
I have received such wonderful revelations from God. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger, for, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Now I wanna help you with something. This last part where Paul says, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. I know some of you right now, there are men in this room, there are men watching online right now that you're thinking, man, I'm a lot like Paul because I've got a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan who's here to keep me from being proud and it's my wife, I married her. And I want you to know that's not the right way to think about this, okay? That's not the, how we exegete scripture. Uh, that's not the right application. But some of you, you were just thinking it, weren't you? You were wanting to nudge your wife, but you didn't want her to kill you in your sleep, so you didn't. Well done. He goes on to say three different times, I begged the, uh, begged the Lord to take it away. So what we see is there's this, what he calls a thorn in the flesh. There was some affliction. There was some issue in Paul's life. And it was, it was an it was a problem for him. And we don't know specifically what it is. Theologians, scholars have different ideas. Uh, some theorize that it was his eyesight, that he had bad eyes, and this is what he was praying that God would heal him from or deliver him from. Um, we don't know exactly what it is. It never is stated explicitly. But what we do know is this. The Apostle Paul prayed for God to fix something in his life three different times. And what we see is it never happened. And I hope that makes you feel a little better about your situation. Because there have been times I've prayed and I've thought, well, maybe there's an issue with me. Maybe there's a problem with my prayer. Maybe I'm not doing it right. Maybe my heart's not right. Maybe there's a pro maybe I'm the issue, right? But sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers the way we want because God has a better plan. So he says three times I begged the Lord to take it away. And listen to this. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So then Paul says this. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, the hardships, the persecutions, and the troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. See, one of the problems we have is in the culture of our world, we want to avoid weakness. Weakness is the worst thing you can be. And it's because we have this mentality like we're watching a nature documentary. Um, I, like, I like watching Discovery Channel, their nature shows, um, and the ones, especially if they're narrated by like David Attenborough and they've got some guy with a British accent or, you know, it's even better for some reason. But I don't know about you, but um, I, I think about these scenes, the African Serengeti, the plains, what do you see? You see a herd of gazelle. And they're just living their life. They're doing their gazelle things. They're, they're, they're grazing. They're eating. They're doing their thing. And it's picturesque. It's serene, right? And then out of nowhere, out of nowhere, the, the gazelle, they're eating. And then all of a sudden one goes, what are they doing? They sense something's wrong, right? They're getting... They're, they're getting a better picture. They're looking. And then the camera shot, they'll go to the camera shot and all you see is like the grass waving, blowing, and you see a little bit of movement like, oh, there's a lion out there, right? And, and the viewer knows what the gazelle suspects is that there's a pride of lions crouching in the grass all around these gazelle. They are hunting the gazelle. Now, the next moment is the moment we wait for, right? It's the moment that the, the lion's, 
explode out of the grass and they begin pursuing the gazelle. And, and normal people root for the gazelle. But I gotta be honest with you. I root for the lion. I feel bad when the lions miss out. I know that normal people are like, whoo, the gazelle got away. I feel a little bad. And here's why. Because that lion's got to go back to their family and explain why they're not eating dinner that night. Like, I can imagine the disappointed looks on the, 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 the cubs' faces. And they're like, mommy, are we going to be able to eat dinner tonight? Sorry, mo- kids. Mommy had a bad day at work. Oh, we're so hungry. And you people root for the gazelles, you sickos. <laughs> That lion's got a family to feed. What happens? The lions burst out. They begin chasing the gazelle. And they don't go after the strongest or the fastest or the biggest. No, what do they they do? They target the weakest, don't they? They target the smallest. They target the sick. And they will chase them down and they will have their dinner, right? And, And we are trained in our culture that we don't wanna be the weakest gazelle. We don't want to be the smallest gazelle at the watering hole. That's not who we want to be. We want to be the lion. In business, they talk about being a shark, right? We want to be the apex predator. We don't want to be the prey. And in the kingdom of God, it's the opposite. In the kingdom of God, God says, you're actually strongest when you're weakest. You want to experience true strength? It happens when you're at your weakest point. One of the problems is, that we approach church, we approach our faith, we approach the kingdom of God like it's a competition and it's not a competition because life is not a competition. See, God measures success by our faithfulness to him, not by what we accumulate or what we, what we accomplish. He wants us just to simply be faithful to him. See, when we get to heaven someday, God is not gonna say, well done, good and successful servant. He's gonna say, well done, good and faithful servant, isn't he? According to scripture, that's what he's gonna say. But we think God is impressed by success. No, God is impressed by faithfulness. Let me, let me explain it to you this way. Some people look at our church and they go, man, it's a big church, they're successful. And I would say, yes, I think we are a successful church, but it's not because we're a big church. Because I've known some big churches that were not successful, by the way. And I would say the inverse is true as well. Just because a church is small does not mean they're not successful. Because God doesn't measure success by how many people show up on a weekend. God measures success by how faithful you are to do what he's asked you to do. So it doesn't matter how big or small you are, if you're not doing what God's called you to do, you're not successful. Does that make sense to anybody? So for us, when I look at at other churches in our community, other pastors in our community, I don't care if they pastor 40 people or 400 people or 4,000 people. If they're being faithful to do what God's called them to do, they're successful. And we can celebrate that, we can champion that. But we struggle with that in the world we live in because we were programmed to believe, well, if you live in a big house, you must be successful. If you, if you drive a nice car, you must be successful. If you have the big office, if you, whatever it is, that's what success is. That's what is important is power, is strength. But that's not the case in the kingdom of God. See, so many times in the kingdom of God, we disqualify ourselves because of our weakness. We say we're not enough. We're not strong enough. We're not powerful enough. I'm not important enough. I'm I'm not, whatever it is, I'm just not enough. So I'm not cut out to be used by God. I'm disqualified from being used by God. But I want you to know this. Our weakness actually qualifies us for God's purposes and plans. See, we're disqualified 
if we think we're qualified. God rejects the proud but gives grace to the humble. See, in our weakness, God's strength can be displayed most clearly. And that's what Paul recognizes. And that's the principle that I hope you get as we walk through this today because there are people listening to this message today that are watching online, that are here in this room, that, that you have disqualified yourself because of some perceived insufficiency in your life. Well, I can't be used by God like Mel can because, no, that's not true at all. I'm just being faithful to do what God's called me to do. That doesn't mean you can't be successful because you're not on the stage as long as you're faithful to do what God's called you to do. So there's a story, like I said earlier, in the book of Judges. If you've had your, your thumb in the book of Judges all this time, thank you for your patience. The book of Judges um, is an interesting book. It's, um, it is bloody and brutal. And from a literary perspective, it is a tragedy because the entire book of Judges is about this descent into darkness for the people of Israel, away from God, um, and, and they begin to look more and more and more like the people around them, the cultures around them. And uh, there really are no heroes in the book of Judges. Uh, God is the hero in the book of Judges. Uh, but God continually uses these people that are raised up called Judges over and over and over um, to, to rescue his people. Um, so the book of Judges takes place in this period after the people of Israel have left Egypt and before they get a king established. So there's about a 400-year period of time, and it's just darkness. It's bad for the nation of Israel. And what would happen is they would go into captivity. Um, they would be unfaithful to God, go into captivity, and then they would cry out to God. God would raise up a judge who was like a military leader to rescue them from their captivity. They'd be faithful to God for a while, and then they would forget how good God is, and they would be unfaithful to God again. And so this is one of those periods where they're in captivity, and they're in captivity to the Midianites. And, and they weren't slaves, but in some ways, um, this is worse than some of the subjection that they have experienced in other stories. What happened is the Midianites would come in and they would take all their food, literally all their food. When crops were ready to be harvested, the Midianites would take it all. They would devour it. Um, there was not enough food for the livestock, for the animals. There was not enough food for the people. So people were literally starving. Uh, it was a desperate time for the nation of Israel. They felt hopeless. Um, and that's where this, this story takes place. Uh, this is Judges chapter 6. We'll start in verse 11. This is what it says. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the tr great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abizar. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero! The Lord is with you. So let me give you some context. Um, he was threshing wheat, and he was doing this presumably so he could they could make bread, so they could use it to eat. Um, a threshing floor was, and we won't get into all the details, but basically it was a place where you could you could uh, pull the the husk off of the wheat. Uh, you could take, separate the wheat and the chaff, the good part that you'd use for cooking, baking, whatever, and the, the chaff that was the bad part that had no value, no, no, um, no value for their, their health. And so the ideal spot to thresh wheat was in a high spot. So they would typically have a threshing floor on a hill, 
uh, and it was an open area that the wind could blow through. So as they were threshing the wheat, the wind could blow away the chaff and they would have just the good stuff left. A wine press was typically the opposite of a threshing floor. It was typically in a lower depressed area. Sometimes it'd be carved out of stone, but it would be a pit. Literally, it would be like a big pit. And they would put the uh, put the, the grapes in there. They would press them out to separate the, the juice from the grapes themselves, from the, the remnants. And so they're two very different things. But what happened is Gideon... He was threshing wheat in the wine press. And the reason he was doing that was because he was anticipating the Midianites stealing his food. He was desperate. He, he wanted to make sure he had food for himself, for his family. We don't know for certain. But he was threshing wheat in a wine press. He was doing something that was out of the norm because he was driven by fear. Now, this is not uncommon because Gideon was driven by his emotions, we're going to see that in just a second. Let me read what he says here. Um, he says, sir, verse 13. Sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord has brought us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites? It's interesting because his response is full of questioning and doubt. And, and this is something that, that you can kind of hear the indignation he has, um, that he's a little frustrated. He, he's saying, if, if God is good, why is this happening in my life? If God is so good, why am I going through this? And remember, this is a 400-year period where he had not seen God work. He had not experienced the goodness of God. He, he heard about the stories of, of Israel coming out of Egypt, but they were, like, they were like fairy tales to him. They were like a myth to him almost. He had never experienced it. So this gives us a picture of his heart, where he's at, what's going on. And, and the interesting thing is, and I want to go back, in the last verse, the angel of the Lord says, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Does this sound like a mighty hero to you? A guy who's afraid, he's threshing wheat in a wine press, and then he responds this way. Is God really good? But I want you to see, this is who God sees. I used to think that the angel of the Lord is being sarcastic. Like, you know, he's giving him a hard time, but I've realized, um, you know, after I got a little older, that the angel of the Lord is not sarcastic. I'm sarcastic, but the angel of the Lord is not. And so the angel of the Lord was speaking to him, and he was identifying something in him that, that Gideon didn't even identify in himself. He was saying, you are a mighty hero, you just don't even know it yet. There is, there is a hero resident in you, but you don't see it yet. Even with your questioning, even with your doubt, even with your lack of experience, even with your fear, there is something resident in you that I want to use. But Gideon just doesn't see it. And he's driven by his feelings. He's frustrated. He's angry. He responds in this moment and he says, if God's really good, then why? And let's be honest, haven't we all been in that place before? If God's really good, why did my loved one pass away? If God's really good, why did I get laid off? If God's really good, right? And what happens is, what happened with Gideon, we, we begin to be driven by our, our emotions, by our fear. And there's nothing wrong with questioning. The problem is when, when our emotions are in the driver's seat of our actions. When the emotions take over and begin 
to, to drive what we do and how we respond. And this is what was going on with Gideon. He was driven by fear. He was driven by his emotions. In the world we live in today, this is one of the biggest issues is that it feels like reason is out the window and everything we talk about is driven by our emotions. And it's not even in the world, it's even in churches. It's like this. We're driven by how we feel. And Gideon in many ways is no different. I love the fact that, that the angel of the Lord doesn't squash him for having these feelings or questions. Um, and in fact, what we see is the angel of the Lord doesn't even address the questions. The angel of the Lord just simply tries to move him to a position to see things differently. This is what it says. Then the Lord, in verse 14, then the Lord, the angel of the Lord, turned to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. I love this. He says, he says hey, there's an issue we're in captivity. The Midianites are in control. Don't you see that? Somebody should do something. And the angel of the Lord says, you're right. Go, you go do something. You go rescue Israel. Go in the strength you have. What he's saying is, don't wait till you, things get better. Don't wait till you're stronger. Don't wait till you're smarter. Don't wait till you're more mature. Don't wait till you're more educated. Don't wait till your finances are in a better position. Go with the strength you have. Do what you can do and let God sort out the rest. So many times we want the planets to be in alignment before we do anything. God, I want you to speak to me and I want, I'll do whatever you tell me to do, but you better make it simple. You better make it comfortable. You better make it easy, Right? And Gideon was the same way. He was reluctant. He was hesitant. He, he needed some convincing. And we're not going to get into the whole story. So the angel of the Lord says, go with the strength you have. Go in the strength that's resident in you and rescue, the Israel, uh, rescue Israel from the Midianites. He says, you, you, you see an issue? You take care of the issue. I'm sending you. Verse 15, but Lord, Gideon replied. Here comes, here comes a response, right? Here's the excuses. How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh and I am the least in my entire family. So let me walk this out for you. He says, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh and I am the least in my family. So in, in our culture today, many times the baby of the family actually has the most influence. And I'm saying that as the baby in my family. I get that. My sister would say, oh, mom and dad do whatever you want. You got a nicer car when you turn 16 than I got. All those kind of things, which is sort of true. So I can't argue with that a whole lot, right? Let's be honest. The babies have advantage many times over the older siblings in a family. That is not the way it was in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there was honor associated with being the firstborn son. There was authority given to being the firstborn son. There was power given to the firstborn son. And so what he's saying is, whoa, 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 I don't know if you know this, but I'm not the firstborn. I am, I'm the least. I am the baby in my family. Of all the people you could pick just in my family, I'd be the worst one to pick. But he doesn't stop there. He says, my clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh. He said, not only am I the least in my family, my Clan is the least in our tribe. Come on. And he said, not only that, but our tribe, Manasseh, is only one of 12. And you're picking me? You expect me to go do this? And I love this so much. 
Because he, he rolls out of his excuses. Here's all the reasons why I can't be used. Here's all the reasons why I'm unqualified. But he didn't understand that these excuses actually made him the most qualified person to be used by God. The whole time, God is hearing this. God's hearing his excuses. I'm the weakest and I'm the smallest in my family and my, here's all the things. God's going, yeah, keep going. What else, what else, what else? Perfect. Sold. You're my number one draft pick. Because he's building this case and he's saying, I'm not qualified. And God says, that's exactly what I'm looking for. I'm looking for people who aren't qualified. I don't want the person who says, God, you're lucky to have me on your team. You're so blessed because I'm so talented. I'm so gifted. You're lucky to have me, God. Right? God goes, nah, I'm good. Give, give me Gideon. Give me the person who's unqualified. Give me the person who's the least in their family. Give me the person who, who doesn't think that they belong on my team. I want that person on my team. See, the strength you have may not be much, but when the Lord is with you, it's all you need. We look at ourselves and we go, I'm not enough, I'm not strong, I'm too weak. And the answer is yes, you are, but God's not. Judges 6.16 says this, the Lord said to him, I will be with you and will, you will destroy the Midianites as if you're fighting against one man. as if you're fighting against one man. The, the implication is that when he takes his army into battle, the army that they're facing will be defeated as if this army is only fighting one person. I don't know about you. Uh, I've, I, don't, I don't have a lot of experience fighting. I've been in one actual fight in my life. Remember it like it was yesterday? Because it was yesterday. I was over at the mall. I got in a fight with this eight-year-old girl. She was taking my, no, I'm just kidding. Um, Lake Home Elementary, 1985. Young, stout is what we'll call him. Mel Massingale on the playground playing some tetherball with his friends. And a young man approaches and he's a third grader. And he's a little bigger than I am. And he says something like this to me. Hey, I heard you've been talking to my sister. To which I replied, nope. And the reason I said that was because I didn't know him or his sister. He had the wrong guy. But he persisted. He accosts me and he begins to shake me. And in that moment, I broke free from this rapscallion's grasp. And I did my best Chuck Norris imitation on this guy. And um, when I did, I like, like right in the nose. I don't, nobody taught me that. I just, just primal response. Like, it was like a cornered animal in that moment. I punch him in the nose. And it was like slow motion. I'm not exaggerating when I say this, for real. Uh, it was like his nose exploded. <laughs> And it was like slow motion, like as I'm pulling my hand away, in his face. And I am not a fan of blood anyway, like especially as a first grader. And seeing what I just perpetrated on this man, this boy, this child, um, you would think that I would stand over his fallen body like a conquering you know, hero, like, yeah, right? That was not the case at all. 
um, I ran away and I hid under the monkey bars for the rest of recess because I was convinced that I was going to prison for this. Like I'm doing hard time for punching Ricky in the nose uh, over at the playground. And um, so needless to say, that kid left me alone. And I spent the next week hiding under the monkey bars during recess because I didn't want him to find me again because uh, I was sure that he was coming to get me. But this is what I learned from that experience. If I've got to be in a fight, I want to make sure I've got some guys with me. I don't want to be in a fight and be outnumbered. If, if I'm one-on-one with a guy, okay. If I could be two-on-one, I'm not too proud for that. I'm okay. Three-on-one, even better, right? That doesn't bother me. You, you think you're too good for that. Um, some of you are Penguins fans. You like it when a power play happens. What does that mean? It means you've got the advantage. You've got more men on the ice than they've got on the ice. If you've got a two-man advantage, even better, right? Why? Because it gives you better odds of winning, better odds of scoring a goal, better odds of achieving your your purpose. And this is what God says. He says, I will be with you and you're going to go into battle and it's going to be as if your army is facing one man. So how does that happen? Well, it happens because God says, I am with you. Did you notice that's the difference between verse 14 where he says, I'm sending you and then verse 16 where he says, I am with you. That's distinct. Did God change his mind? Somewhere along the line, did did God go, yeah, I'm gonna send you, and you go, eh, you know what, I'll just go with you, it's fine. No, not at all. Let let me help you with this. Um, Whenever whenever I ask my girls to do something for me, I might say, hey, would you take care of this responsibility? I'll give you an example. My, My oldest daughter, Abby, as she was learning to drive, I didn't just stick her in the car and go, hey, go run some errands for me because she didn't know how to drive. She didn't know what she was doing. So what would I do? I'd get in the car with her. I'd sit in the drive, passenger seat. And I'd go, okay, put it in drive. Yeah, take your foot off the brake. Here's what you do. We'd walk through it together. She would have been terrified if I would have sent her out by herself. But I get in the car and I show her what to do. It makes it easier because dad is with me. The, my presence there changes the experience for her. And what God says is, hey, I'm sending you, but then he shifts and says, no, I'm with you. Did God change his mind? No. What he's trying to help Gideon understand is that I'm with you all the time. So here's what I want you to hear. Uh, When you leave here today, God is not more with you in this room than he will be in your car on the way home. He's not more with you right now in this place than he is when you go to the office tomorrow or go to school tomorrow or go to class tomorrow, whatever it is you may be going to. His presence is just as real with you there as it is here. The difference is your awareness of his presence. God is omnipresent. He is everywhere all the time. So when you show up here and you're like, oh, I can really feel the presence of God. No, you're just more aware of the presence of God. He's with you in your car. You just don't know it. You're just not paying attention. You're not aware of it. And so what God is doing is he's making Gideon aware of the fact that he is with him. He's saying, I'm sending you. But then he goes, no, 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 I'm not just sending you. I want you to hear this. I'm going to be with you in the middle of this. I want you to be aware of my presence so that it will change how you approach this, how you walk through it. Hey, you're gonna go into a battle, but I want you to know you're not going into it alone. I'm going with you. And because I'm going with you, it's gonna change the outcome. It's gonna change the face of this battle. See, God's presence is what allows the victory to be won. That's why they can take their army and fight and they can win as if they're fighting against one man because of God's presence. 
I wanna challenge you, practice the presence of God. Take some moments where you'd normally be unaware of God's presence and just, just say, okay, I know God is with me right now. I, and practice that presence. Make yourself aware of it in your car, in your workplace. And it's going to change the environment. It's gonna change how you navigate through some situations. So the rest of Judges six, uh, chapter six, God is trying to convince Gideon to, um, to, to marshal an army and face the Midianites. And it's kind of a long process. Um, we get to chapter seven, and, and Gideon has 32,000 men that he's gathered for this army. Sounds impressive, doesn't it? Until you realize that the Midianites had about 120,000 people in their army. So he's got 32,000, but don't worry, because God said, I'm sending you. Then he said, no, I'm with you. You're gonna win the battle, don't you worry. And we get to, we get to Judges chapter seven, verse two. This is what it says. The Lord says to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. Remember what I said, if I'm going into a fight, I want more guys with me, right? Gideon's the same way. He says, if I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they save themselves by their own strength. He said, you got too many guys. If you win the victory, you're gonna take the credit for yourself. And I want you to hear this. God is not an egomaniac. God is not like, no, I'm not sharing the glory with anybody. It's all mine. He's not a child. He's not petulant. That's not who he is. God wants us to see his strength clearly as well. And when we are at our weakest point and God works through us, this should be a revelation for us how good God is. But what happens is our pride gets in the way and we start taking credit. We go, man, look how smart I am. I got this job. I got this promotion. I got this whatever it is. And God's like, you idiot. I gave it to you in your weakness. My strength was on display, but you missed it. And this is what he's trying to help Gideon and the Israelites understand. Like, hey, if, 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 if it's not clear, you're going to take the credit for it. So he said, here's the deal, Gideon. You got too many guys. Of your 32,000, we need to get rid of some of them. So here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna tell them if they're scared, they can go home. So sure enough, Gideon gets up, 32,000 men. He says, fellas, I know we're facing insurmountable odds, but God's with us, but I know some of you are still afraid. If you're too afraid to fight, you can just go on home. And I know what Gideon's thinking because I would be thinking the same thing. These are, are grizzled, hardened men. They're prideful. They're not just gonna be like, yeah, fellas, I'm, I'm scared, so I'm going home, right? Like my wife's cooking stew tonight, so I'm, I don't wanna miss that, like, they're going to be like, no, we're going to stay. We're going to fight. And do you know what happened? Of the 32,000, 22,000 went home. Do you think that might have been a little defeating for Gideon in that moment? Do you think his flesh might have said, you're in trouble, buddy? Because mine would have. I would have been like, Whew, how are we going to do this? And then God says, nah, your 10,000 are still too many. Wait, what? So yeah, 10,000, too many people. So here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna send them down to the, the stream and you're gonna have them drink. And the people that stick their face in the water, you're gonna put them in one group. And the people that scoop the water out and drink it out of their hand, put them in another group. And all the people that put their face in the water and drink, you send all of them home. And so when that was done, 9,700 of them had stuck their face in the water. And this is what God says in Judges chapter seven, Verse seven, the Lord told Gideon, with these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send the, all, all the others home. He says, these 300 men are all I need. You view this as weakness. I view this as strength. I'm gonna win the victory and I'm gonna give it to you. 
God says, you're not gonna win the victory. You don't have the power to win the victory. I'm gonna win the victory. Remember what we said, his strength is made perfect in our weakness. When we're weak, that's when we're actually strong because God's power is working in us. This principle is true. What we see in the story is that sure enough, they won the victory. And it wasn't because of their military might, it was because they trusted God. God was with them in this battle. Second Corinthians chapter 12, we read this verse earlier. This is the part where Paul prays to have the thorn removed from his flesh and this is God's response. I'm gonna read it to you from the English Standard Version. This is God's response. My grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. My power is made perfect in weakness. This word in the Greek is teleo and teleo means to be brought to completion or brought to full fruition, um, and it, it's used several times in the New Testament. One of the most notable times it's used is in the book of John. Um, uh, when Jesus was crucified, his final words on the cross were, it is finished. And the word finished there is the same word, teleo. And it means brought to completion. What Jesus was saying is, everything that I came to earth to accomplish has been accomplished. It is finished. It is teleo. It's been brought to completion, brought to perfection, brought to maturity might be another way to say it. I want you to hear this. In order for God's power to be, to be completed in you, brought to fruition, brought to wholeness in you, it's going to take weakness. It's going to take us admitting that we're not enough, that we're not strong enough, that we can't do life on our own. We can't do marriage on our own. We can't lead our families on our own. We can't win lost people on our own, that we are not enough. But I want to, you to hear this. I've got good news. Jesus is enough. God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. I want you to remember a few things. Number one, your weakness qualifies you for God's purposes. Your weakness qualifies you for God's purposes. All your excuses, it's just building God's case for him. Your weaknesses qualify you for God's purposes. You should go in the strength you have. Don't wait till things are perfect. Don't wait till the planets come into alignment. Go in the strength you have. God's gonna work in you and he's gonna make up the difference. And the last thing is I wanna remind you, God is with you. God is with you. The story of Gideon doesn't happen unless this key portion in chapter six happens. And I didn't mention this to you, but in chapter six, after he's had this conversation with God, um, God tells him, you need to go tear down your family idols. Gideon's father had some idols that they were patriarchal, so it was his whole family worshiped these idols. It was an idol to Baal, and there was an idol that was an Asherah pole. And these represented false gods. And God said, I can't use you if you've got other stuff in your life that's pulling your affection away from me. So go tear those down. And he did. He tore those down. And he creates an altar to the Lord to worship God. And the next day, God says, now go do that in the community as well. And so that night, he waits till night, because again, he's a coward. He goes in the middle of the night, he tears down the, the idols, and, and he erects an altar to the Lord, and the people are furious about it, and God spares him and goes about his business. But 
The thing that I thought was so interesting is so many people in the church go, man, here's all the things that are wrong in our community. Somebody needs to do something about this and this and this and this and this. And here's all the issues and here's all the problems. And the two things I would say is maybe God wants to use you to solve some of those problems. Just like with Gideon. The other thing I would say is this. God's not gonna tear down the idols in our community until we're willing to tear down the idols in our own home. When we're willing to say, man, you know what? Um, there's, some, there's some issues in my life that are separating me from God's purposes and plans. And I need to tear those down. There's some, there's some, some habits. There are some issues. There maybe not even sinful, but just some things that are pulling my affection away from God. And I need to pull those things down. I need to, I need to get that out of, of my life. God's never gonna use us the way he wants to. God's never gonna, God's never going to use us as a vessel that he can bring glory to if we're living in a way that is contrary to his word. So my challenge today is really simple. We all wanna see God work through us. All of us would say that. But it begins with us saying, okay, I've got some stuff in my life that I need God to correct. I've got some some sin, I've got some, some idols that need to be pulled down and trusting him enough to do that. Here's what I wanna do. Um, I wanna turn it over right now for those of you watching on Blairsville to our hosts there. They're gonna close out the rest of this service. And uh, so guys, thank you for joining us today. We love you. For those of you here in the room, those of you that are watching online, maybe you're one of those people that you would say to me, um, Mel, you know what I recognize that I got some idols in my life. I've got some things that are pulling my affection away from God and I need to, I need to pull that stuff down. I need, to, I need to trash it. I know that there's not real idols in your house, but metaphorically in your heart, there are things that are there that are robbing God of your affection. And he would say, those need to go. And you know what they are. Maybe it's a habit or a relationship. Maybe it's, Maybe it's blatantly sinful. You know what it is. The Holy Spirit's showing you right now. Would you let God deal with that today? Would you trust God enough to do that? And some of us are here and we've been telling ourselves for years that we're not enough. Well, God can't use me because. And my prayer is today, your eyes will be opened. That you'll see that the very thing you thought disqualified you from being used by God is what qualifies you for his purposes and plans. That you're not enough, I'm not enough, that's okay. God wants to use us in spite of our lack. Because of our lack, he wants to use us. So why don't you bow your head, close your eyes, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for being so good to us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you. Thank you that you love us in spite of our, short, our shortfalls, our shortcomings, our insufficiencies. Thank you for loving us even though we're not enough. God, thank you that we can trust you. God, I pray for those that are here today that, that recognize that there are some things in their life that are separating them from you, that have robbed you of the glory you deserve in our lives. And I pray that God, you'd make that clear to us. And I pray that we would do what we need to do today, to tear those idols down in our own lives. That we would stop giving our devotion and affection to things in our life that aren't you. That we would make you the primary affection, the primary love. 
and everything else would fall into place. So God, help us to order our affections correctly. God, I pray if there are people here who need to tear an idol down in their life, they would do it today. They would walk out of here free. They would walk out of here made different. God, I pray for those that um, don't feel like enough. They don't think they can be used by you. Open their eyes today. Help them to see the possibility when you are with us that, that armies fall. The victory is won when you are with us. And you get the glory for it. God, I repent of the times that I've tried to make myself strong or big or powerful. God, help me never boast in my strength, but God, help me boast in my weakness so that you can be glorified. Now, with nobody looking around, your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here today and you'd say to me, Mel, I'm not really serving God. I'm not really in a relationship with God. I recognize today that there's some idols in my life. There's some things in my life that need to be torn down. And I need the Holy Spirit's help to do that, but I wanna do that today. I wanna make Jesus Lord of all. And maybe, maybe this is the first time you're having this realization. Or maybe you're rededicating your life to him today. Whatever the case is, I wanna give you that opportunity. So if you're here and you'd say, Mel, I wanna, I wanna surrender my life to Christ fully and wholly. I wanna tear down some idols in my life. Would you slip your hand up real high? Yeah, a couple hands on my left, a couple hands in the center section, thank you. Yeah, in the back on my right. Yeah, center section, thank you, sir. Who else would say, Mel, pray for me. I've got some idols in my life. Yeah, thank you, on my left. Yeah, thank you, ma'am, I see you on my left. Yeah, in the back, yeah, thank you. Praise God. Just a few more seconds. Anyone else wanna join these? Say, yeah, pray, Mel, pray for me. Include me in this final prayer. Yeah, thank you in the balcony, I see you. Praise the Lord. I don't believe that you have to be saved over and over and over again. I believe salvation, the grace of God is powerful. But I also believe that there are times that we, we rededicate our hearts, our commitment to him. That we don't lose our salvation and gain it back, but it's simply us saying, God, I kind of lost focus. I lost sight and I'm gonna rededicate my life to you. Kind of like when a couple will renew their marriage vows. So, whether you're doing that or you're praying this prayer for the first time, I want you to pray this prayer with me. The word of God tells in the book of Romans, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So I want us to pray this prayer out loud, but I want you to mean it from your heart. So say this prayer with me, everybody in the room. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me and for giving your son, Jesus, to pay the penalty for my sins on the cross. From now on, my life is yours. Use it for your glory and let your strength be made perfect in my weakness so you could be glorified. I repent of my sin and I'm yours forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, let's give God a round of applause today, can we? Listen, if you prayed that prayer with us today and you meant it, whether you raised your hand or not, scripture tells us that you're a new creation. And we would love to help you take the next step in your faith journey. So the simplest thing to do, 
um, would be to take the card that's in the seat back in front of you. You can take that out, fill it out, let us know about your decision. And you can take that to the information center. It's over in the center part of our lobby. Give it to them. They're gonna give you a new Bible and they're gonna point you in the right direction. We've got a, a group uh, that's called Starting Point. It's for people who are new to their faith or returning to their faith. Pastor Dick Motzing, our associate pastor, runs that. I would love for you to get connected with that opportunity just to... to Christianity 101. It's how do we begin? How do we get going? We'd love to help you take that next step. If you're watching online and you prayed that prayer with us, or maybe you're here in the room but can't reach a card, you can simply text Summit PA to the number 94000. If you'll do that, we're gonna respond back to you. You can follow the prompt that says salvation. Let us know. And uh, we're gonna get you a Bible in the mail and connect you to some opportunities as well. So thank you so much for joining us today online. Thank you for those of you that responded today. I'm so proud of you. Here's what's gonna happen right now. I'm gonna say a final prayer over you. We're gonna just say a blessing over you. And while I'm doing that, some of our prayer team, some of our staff are gonna join me here in the front of this room. And as we're dismissed in just a moment, I wanna encourage you, if you need prayer for any reason at all, I would love for you to make your way forward. Find one of our team members, let them pray with you. Um, and if, if you're here today, especially those of you who, who've struggled with the feeling that you're not enough, that, that God can work in you, that God can use you, I would strongly encourage you, find one of our team, let them pray with you today before you leave. Because I promise, God's got a purpose and plan for every single one of you. If you have breath in your lungs, God's not through with you yet. So let us pray with you before you go today. Let me pray over you and we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all you've done in this place. Thank you for people who said yes to you. Thank you for people who surrendered their lives to your Lordship. I pray that their lives would be made different from this day forward. That God, they would experience your goodness and your grace and your kindness. But Lord, I pray that they would carry that with them as well. Lord, let each of us as your sons and daughters walk out of this place empowered by your spirit to speak life into people all around us. Lord, I pray that, that we would truly embody this idea that we're made strong in weakness, that Lord, in our weaknesses this week, you're gonna display your strength. So God, have your way with us, speak life in and through us, and I pray that we would bring glory to your name. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen.